Hey y'all, and welcome back to Sips and Sensibility, where every week we talk about a different Jane Austen adaptation. This season, we're focusing on Emma. We've dived into the Ramallah Garai miniseries, the classic Gwyneth Paltrow adaptation, and this week, we're going to be talking about the 1995 film Clueless. Your hosts are three best friends from college. I'm Julia. I'm Beth. And I'm Lori. You can rent Clueless on pretty much any movie site where you can rent movies. So if you would like to watch the movie with us, check it out online. So, ladies, without further ado, what you sipping? Well, I am drinking coffee today, actually. Which wow. is yeah, very rare for me. <laughs> uh, uh, I Yeah, it has, of course, a little special something in it. <laughs> has a little Bailey's little irish cream has to have a little surprise it does in order for me to drink coffee it can't just be (laughs) coffee uh i had a a long week at work i would just say it was a long week do i feel that good i feel like i've never accomplished more in my entire life so anyways in order to record this episode at 4 30 on a friday afternoon I gotta have some coffee in me. <laughs> Those po- post-holiday weeks really are kind of killer, aren't they? Yeah. Oh, yes. All right. What about you, Lori? What are you drinking? Well, on this week's installment of What is in the Ambiguous Yeti, <laughs> um, I'm switching it up. I have red Gatorade in my Yeti today. I have, as my best friends and co-hosts will know, a, a lot of medical issues. <laughs> And today I've been fighting a migraine all day. So cheers to hydration um, and some good laughs to put me in a better mood. I'm guessing uh, there's not anything special in your Gatorade. No, (laughs) ma'am. Yeah, focus on those electrolytes, Laura. What are you sipping, Jules? Well, I am going for tea again. It's kind of a rainy, foggy day here. So I went with the Tivana Earl Grey Creme which on the package it says it has hints of lavender and vanilla. And I think this is basically supposed to be their imitation of a London fog. So it's supposed to have kind of like a creamy London fog taste to it, which is perfect for me because London fogs are one of my favorites. Wow, that sounds really good. I hope so. You guys know how much I love listening to podcasts and it's always a really exciting day when I find a new one that I like a lot. Well, I have got to tell you about this new podcast that I've discovered. It's called Pride and Prejudice. Yes, just like the Jane Austen book. And it's put on by the Ballarat National Theater. They have a whole cast of actors reading the original book by Jane, and it is so amazing. It's great to hear your favorite characters come to life in this way. You can find it anywhere you listen to podcasts. I highly recommend you check it out. Okay, ladies, so before we dive into our opinions on this adaptation, let's talk about just what Clueless did with Emma. Well, many people are surprised to know that this 1995 iconic film is actually based on Emma. But yeah, this so this movie follows Cher, who um, in my childhood, I thought was actually Cher, the singer. <laughs> I just love the names of this film. And Beth, that's such an interesting tidbit. 
Yeah, it, it took me, it was really honestly a little late in life that I realized that Cher, the character in Clueless, and Cher, the singer, were two different people. Don't, don't they actually say in the movie where, like, she's talking about her and her friend, they're named, named after, after yep. singers? I do want to ask, and this might be showing my age or just ignorance, but her best friend's named Dion, and she says that, oh, Celine Dion, I just got it. Oh, Never mind. Right. <laughs> Well, see, okay, I never heard the name Cher before. It's pretty unique, I guess. So yeah. that's that was what was going on in my mind. But I feel less bad now that Julia didn't realize that it was supposed to be Celine Dion. I do uh, love anyways. Celine Dion. I'm sorry, Celine. I'm sorry. Our hearts will go on. So this film follows Cher, who is a rich um, and very popular girl in high school. She's actually not even 16 yet. So she goes to this school in Beverly Hills, and this is kind of it's kind of like a classic coming of age film in that you get the okay these are the different groups. You know, this is kind of like it reminds you of Mean Girls before Mean she's Girls the man. happened. Yeah, or she's the man. Like as in Mean Girls, you know, they're all the different social groups, and we see that here in Clueless too. All the cliques. Yes, so many different cliques. You've got the stoners and the popular kids and. Just so many different areas. And so Cher, it follows Cher and some of her friends. And so Harriet in this adaptation, her name is actually Ty. And so Harriet comes along. She's the new girl in school. And Cher kind of takes her under her wing. And I just feel like it's important to note that Cher is like just the epitome of a valley girl, basically. (laughs) And when Ty first transfers, I'm not sure if this is where she's supposed to be from, but it's very like... Bronx kind of accent that she has. Ty and Cher are very, very different. So it's basically, I feel like, as close as you can get to the equivalent of what was happening in the 1800s. Oh, yeah. I mean, completely different. You know, talk, talk about the cliques at school. They would be in completely different cliques, completely different quote-unquote levels and just to illustrate that ty at first is drawn to the stoner group which is basically bottom tier in Cher's mind yes exactly and so this film follows Cher's adventures with her friend groups and obviously it's taking place in the 90s in a high school and so it's way different than the original text of emma and just the setting the um, the way the relationships work the dialogue the dialogue <laughs> i mean I highly, I mean, this movie has its flaws. Uh, it is a movie of the time, a product of the time, but I highly recommend watching it because it is just very iconic. And there's just some lines from it that you will hear people quote. I mean, right now there's a clip of Cher in a commercial going, uh-uh, no way, or something like that <laughs> that is playing all the time. And it is just one of those movies that now, 25 years later, has still stuck with us and is a really big part of American culture. This movie, on the same note, was also just a huge skyrocket for a lot of very famous people's careers. So Paul Rudd, this is, was one of the first movies that ever came out featuring Paul Rudd. And I'm sure we'll talk later about some of his iconic films. Um, but he and Alicia Silverstone, who plays Cher, this movie really kickstarted their careers. I would just like to segue really quickly and talk about some of the problematic things. I did want to mention before we start talking about this, while this film is incredibly iconic, there are a couple of things that are a little bit concerning, and it's just something to note before you start watching. 
they do use the R word frequently. Now, was that something that did happen at the time? Yes, that doesn't make it okay, though. And it's definitely something that we can look back and critique. Another thing that's problematic about this film is the sexualization of teenagers. Now, if you look at media today, you can see shows like Riverdale and see that that is still very much something that happens. The actors in the film were all over 18 at the time, but the relationship between Cher and, spoiler alert, the equivalent of Mr. Knightley in this film, Josh, is happening between a 15, 16-year-old and somebody who is minimum 18 years old. Now, yeah, he's in college. He's a yes. college student. So that's both illegal and also just not cool. Wrong. So yeah. I did want to point that out. She and her friends are just repeatedly sexualized throughout the entire film, um, through their outfits, through camera angles and shots. That Locker is room a part scenes. of this. Yikes. Yeah. yeah. Mm, not great. Thank you for pointing that out, Julia. I really appreciate that. And just a couple of things to note um, before we get into discussion. So in this adaptation, Josh is Mr. Knightley and he is Emma's stepbrother. So maybe a little bit weirder than brother-in-law because their parents were at one point married. It's just taking that like brother-sibling family line that we keep referring to as cringeworthy in all the other adaptations. This is just taking it just a step over that line of too far. I will say the film tries to make it a little less cringy by Cher at the very beginning of the movie explaining that... Her dad was married to his mom for like maybe a year and it was like five years ago. So Josh still will visit the house to talk to Cher's dad, but they did not live in the same house as brother and sister for very long really at all. Now, does that make it okay? It's still it's still pretty weird, but I feel like that's, you know, they try to make it less weird. Another important thing to know is that Cher has a best friend in this adaptation named Dion who is not really directly a character from the book. Uh, She may have some aspects of Mrs. Weston, but it's a pretty indirect relationship. She's kind of a a new character. Uh, Really, so the premise of this film is that Cher meets Ty, and she kind of takes her on as a project. We get a wonderful makeover montage. Mm -hmm. One of the best ones. Okay, Uh, very Elphaba and Glinda this time. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And, of course, we see, you know, Failed love between Ty and Elton, uh, failed love between Ty and Josh, and finally the realization that uh, our Emma, who is Cher, is in love with Josh, who is Mr. Knightley, and Ty finally at the end gets together with the um, stoner guy that she had originally liked at the beginning, and his name is Travis, who is Mr. Martin. So that's kind of your background information for you, and with that, let's dive in. So, ladies, what did you think of the 1995 Clueless? Okay, I just have to say, I love this film. (laughs) I remember the very first time I watched it, I was in high school, and I feel like this is going to age me a little bit, Um, (laughs) but I was lying on the floor in my bedroom, and I had this, like, neon green, like, very mesh rug in the center of my room and I watched this movie lying on that green rug by myself and uh, 
So I just have really good memories associated with this movie because I saw it at the perfect time. I was in high school just like they were. And I feel like this movie has such a fun energy. And I think that even though this is very different from Emma in dialogue, they really captured the essence of Emma and her character arc. And I just really love the comedy in this movie too. Yeah, I mean, this is probably what the fourth or fifth time I've seen Clueless. And I enjoyed it just as much this time as I have all of the other times. It's just kind of a fun and a lot of ways lighthearted film to enjoy. Mm -hmm. And I really love the depiction of the 90s. For that, Mm -hmm. it is just so iconic. And we're all, you know, 90s kids somewhat. But for, you know, we were in high school at the time. We missed a lot of the bulk of the 90s. We were babies. We were literally 90s babies. Um, and so we missed all of that for the most part. We don't remember any of it. And so I really like seeing this. I love all of the outfits. Oh, the outfits are so good. Oh, they're amazing. The costuming is just incredible. Just all of these amazing costumes and their references, like Cher is saving herself for Luke Perry. (laughs) And just so many things like that. Like talk, she talks about Josh and she says, he's a real Baldwin. And yeah. things that are just kind of outdated at this point, but are just still hilarious. They also keep saying, like, the women are Bettys. Yes. That's my mom. Isn't she a Betty? <laughs> it's not like I've watched this a couple times or anything. So, yeah, overall, I really enjoyed it. What about you, Lori? This was your first viewing, right? This it was my first viewing. I have a weird thing with movies in my childhood. You're a clueless virgin. I am a clueless version, but I can drive. <laughs> Let that be known. Um, yeah, I had a like really weird, like selective movie watching as a child. Like I've seen She's the Man, never saw Clueless, never saw Star Wars until I like went to college. But I've seen every single Harry Potter film. So like very weird, eclectic. I don't know what happened to me. Um, and I feel like I'm going to get some hate for this. So please be gentle with me. Uh, I didn't love it. Boo. <laughs> oh, wrong. Let me explain. Let me explain. So my personal taste in movies are things blowing up, grand romance. Fast and Furious, Cal. Yeah. Fast and Furious, Pirates of the Caribbean, all of the Avengers, Marvel, Star Wars. You you get the gist of what I like. A in 90s classic, in classic yeah, romance. Yeah, yeah. Classic uh, romance. Like, do you even like, like Jane Austen? <laughs> historical <laughs> romances, I think, None are the asterisk really... on that. Like Christmas romance, like all the Christmas movies right now, like Blech. Holiday. I just, I can't. I can't. I, I just, I can't. Oh, wait, but, you don't like this. Okay, no. I thought you were about to say you liked Hallmark Christmas movies. And I was like, no. you cannot say you don't like Clueless. <laughs> you like Hallmark Christmas movies. No, 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 no. No offense. No, no, no. Um... Yeah, so like just the movie wasn't my vibe, I guess. It wasn't it wasn't directed towards me. I will say I feel like if this movie doesn't have the nostalgia of watching it when you're younger, That's it true. is it's hard to go back and watch movies about high school when you're so far removed from that era. Um so honestly, do I agree with your opinion? No. Do I understand it? Yes. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, this movie actually got an 82 from the critics and a 76 from the audience. So it's it's pretty on par with um, 
with what we were saying, you know, overall it was mainly liked. Maybe there's some people who, who didn't enjoy it as much. Um, as far as the, the music and the cinematography and the vibe, I mean, obviously this had a very strong iconic nineties vibe. Like we mentioned, Mm. uh, the cinematography to me and the music weren't anything super special. I mean, they were, they were indicative of the times. So you you had some classic nineties music. Yeah. And Rolling some, with the homies. homies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some of the party scenes, especially, you get some of that music in. So, Julia, I know you love a good audiobook. And I know that downloading and purchasing an audiobook can be a pain. So, wouldn't you like them to be, I don't know, free? Uh, yes. Well, the Ballarat National Theater is doing something super cool that, obviously, if you want free things, would entice you. They're creating a full dramatized audiobook of Pride and Prejudice in the form of a podcast. What? So episode by episode, chapter by chapter, the characters come to life on whatever podcast platform you use. Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, you can find it. The best thing, Ballarat has already put on Pride and Prejudice live, and the same actors are reprising their roles for this production, so you know that they know their stuff. That sounds amazing, Lori. So, if you're like Julia and love a good audiobook, or you just want to add some variety to your Jane Austen intake, check out the Ballarat National Theater's podcast. That's Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. That's the podcast title. Produced by the Ballarat National Theater. All right, ladies, let's discuss the characters. First, we'll start with Cher, who, as we said, is this movie's equivalent of Emma. And she's played by Alicia Silverstone, who most notably went on to play the mom in Diary of a Wimpy Kid. I'm just kidding, Alicia. (laughs) I'm just kidding. You've done some great things. I will say in this film, she I feel like she sets the stereotype for Valley Girl for like the rest of our entire childhoods. (laughs) She did a great job, and she is honestly just so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, she's really beautiful. You know, when we we're going back to watch this, I was having trouble remembering one thing that we've talked about is an endearing quality that Emma has is even though she's young, she's such a great caretaker. And I couldn't remember if Cher really had this in this film, but Cher's mother died when she was young, and she really steps into that role of, you know, her dad's this really busy lawyer, and she takes care of him. She sets doctor's appointments, takes calls for family, makes sure he's eating right. And so even though she is so young, she still very much has that role of kind of the lady of the house. And I was really impressed with the way they adapted that for the 90s and for her age. And I also feel like that still makes her an endearing character that even with all of her um, kind of snootiness and materialism, she is so caring towards her father. Yeah, I appreciated that too. I, you know, I think they did a pretty good job translating her. I think that's hard for this. But I liked a lot of things about Cher. I mean, obviously, she, I mean, she's pretty silly and a little superficial. I mean, you, you can tell that you're in the mind of a high school teenage girl, but still there are some things that I like that make her seem like a little more, I don't know, I guess mature is the right mm-hmm. word. But so she's talking about the high school boys and how they dress and how they <laughs> act. She's like, no, what's like, why is Dion dating a high school boy you know you should date a college boy or or someone older like she uh, is already you know wants to be kind of above that mm-hmm. that silliness um 
the unwashed hair and the backwards baseball cap and all of that. <laughs> and there's just a little bit, little nuggets of wisdom throughout the whole time that are from her. That's just, I mean, it's ridiculous, but at the same time, like it's kind of sweet. Like when she's doing the, the uh, disaster relief thing and she brings out her skis yeah. <laughs> and her dad is like, I don't think they're going to need your skis. And she's like, dad, some people lost all their belongings. Don't you think that includes athletic equipment? <laughs> and she's right. I loved that moment. Yeah. It's ridiculous, but she's right. Her heart's in the right place. Yeah, even we get kind of an almost Mrs. Weston, Mr. Weston matchup when Cher is um, pairing two of her teachers together. And at first, you know, it starts out from kind of a selfish place. She's doing this to try and get her grades boosted. And honestly, <laughs> there's just an absolutely hilarious sequence where the entire school keeps applauding her and patting her on the back because all of their grades are going up because these two teachers are happy, which is so funny. But you can see through those sequences that she and Dion, as they're watching the two teachers fall in love, are genuinely so happy for them. So even though maybe it didn't start from the best place... She's doing it out of a good place. Which, may I just say, that male teacher, uh, he is the guy from Princess Bread. Yes. Yes, yeah. Wallace Shawn. Mm-hmm. Uh, my favorite characteristic about Cher is how bad of a driver she is. All right. Well, now let's discuss that stepbrother slash love interest of Cher's, Mr. Knightley, who in this film is named Josh, who's played by... The illustrious Paul Rudd. Now, I'm sure all of you know who Paul Rudd is. He played Mike Hannigan in Friends. He was Ant-Man in the film Ant-Man. And <laughs> he's he's just been in, like, so many different things. Um, so this was really his first breakout film, and I think that's really cool. He was actually 30 when this was filmed, which, if you guys have just watched this, he looks so young the man doesn't age yeah i was just gonna say it's so funny because i've always said oh wow the illustrious and beautiful paul red the man who doesn't <laughs> age but in this you can definitely tell i mean he looks a lot younger but at the same time he also looks the same hey that's what happens when you're not problematic that's true Ooh, it's true it's very true so Josh in this film is a college kid and Cher is kind of the silly high schooler. He thinks she's totally materialistic and he's the kind of prototypical intellectual college hippie. And it's so funny because she has all these lines where she calls him granola breath and makes fun of the way he dresses. Like she thinks he's such this huge hippie because he likes the environment. But when you look at Paul Rudd's character, yes, he is considering environmental law, but he is not a hippie at all and I just think it's so funny but Josh is definitely that pseudo intellectual type there's even one hilarious moment where Cher's been like watching tv or jazzercising or something oh, yes. I don't know and he's sitting by the pool and like I I want to say it's like a black turtleneck and these like tiny little classic 90s sunglasses reading Nietzsche and I thought that was so funny and existential He's also dressed like that. Like he's dressed significantly. The way he's dressed sets him apart from all of the teenagers in the film. Like he looks older and wiser. And so it is kind of weird they end up pairing them together. You know, I do like them as a couple, you know, age difference aside. <laughs> Barring the elite. <laughs> yeah, but it is really weird that he's like this sophisticated college man. But I mean, there's a huge age difference in the book. It's just a lot different when she's you know, modern times and she's 15 years old. Yeah, I think a lot of things, 
Well, I mean, we've been looking at Emma through modern eyes anyway, but it's a lot different when the adaptation is really slapping you with the reality of those age differences. You're just kind of like, ooh, maybe not in 2020. Uh, this is a little weird. <laughs> I will say there's some really cute uh, Paul Rudd and uh, share or I guess Josh and share moments at the end of the film when they're at the wedding of the two teachers. Mm-hmm. And there's just, he says, Hey, there's a $200 pool going to see whose girl catches the bouquet. And then she just <laughs> kind of presses her forehead against him and their faces are really close together. And she says, it's in the bag. <laughs> and it's so cute. It is and so cute. I just love it. We don't get a ton of scenes of them interacting as a couple. And so I really liked that one. May I just say a betting pool on whose girlfriend will catch a bouquet is such a college age boy thing to do. <laughs> I also really loved there was a moment where it's basically kind of the equivalent of the Weston's ball, but very different in this instance. Cher is going to a college party with Christian, who is this version of Frank Churchill. And she walks down the stairs and Paul Rudd is just like... <laughs> <laughs> what are you wearing? Like, he doesn't say that, but you can tell he's concerned. Calvin for... Klein says it's a dress. <laughs> <laughs> but he tells her dad he is working on some law stuff with him, helping him out. And he's like, I'm going to go make sure she doesn't get into any trouble and just like follows her to the dance just to check in with her. Um, Cher's best friend, Ty, who's Harriet, tags along. Nobody's inviting her to dance. So then Paul Rudd and Ty have a very dorky, cute dance together. And I thought that was a pretty sweet moment too. Just like kind of the protective older brother kindness showing through. Yeah, his nice, that kind, nice guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Quality. That, I mean, that's really strong in him, you know, that he kind of is channeling from nightly. He also has this really great moment, too, where Cher is, her, the whole movie, her dad's working on a really big case and he has, you know, a bunch of lawyers coming over to help him at different points. And at one point, he, Cher wants to help him because she's going through her big, change it you know where she's trying to become a better person and he asks her to do this one specific thing so later in the movie it cuts to Cher and Josh are helping one of her dad's employees and he gets mad and Cher figures out she's not been doing what he wanted correctly and he yells at her and then Josh sticks up for her and he was like hey she was just trying to help she's just a kid you know kind of calls him out for being so rude when it really wasn't Cher's fault it was his fault and I thought that was a really sweet moment too just watching him like stick up for her so now that we've gushed about josh let's talk about this movie's harriet who as we've said her name's ty and she's played by Brittany murphy yeah i think they made an interesting choice with her you know i think if i was planning this movie it would have been maybe my first instinct to make her like nerdy and yeah weird and that Mm -hmm. more in that way and kind of put her on a lower social level in that way um, which is what not what they did. In fact, they made her like, you know, really into drugs and like just much different. Um, you know, I think it's hilarious when she says, Oh, I'm not a virgin. Like she's she just so shocked. Yeah, she's just different. In a lot of ways, she's kind of like cooler than yeah. Cher is, which you come to see later on in the movie, but I liked it. I liked that they did that and that they chose to go in that direction with her character. I think it makes sense for the 90s mm-hmm. and I think it did separate her and Cher and Brittany did a great job playing her. 
And I also think that it's just such a perfect take from what the original novel is trying to do because what Emma is always trying to do to Harriet is elevate her status. She's trying to make her more refined so that people don't question who her dad was because no one knows where she came from. So she's like, social standing, you need to be top tier. Mm -hmm. You need to be refined. And so for them, instead of just having Ty be nerdy and Cher giving her a makeover, they're like, okay, Cher is trying to help Ty elevate her status by not doing drugs. And yes, of course, there's a makeover, but she's trying to elevate her status. And like, Cher kind of has like, she's very pure I guess for a high school student in the area that she's in and she's trying to kind of help Ty have that unattainable angelic kind of quality that Cher has does that make sense yeah Yeah. it really reminds me of my fair lady Mm -hmm. you know that idea of taking someone who's lower uh, who has kind of a strong accent and elevating them to a higher society uh, a higher level in social standing Mm. I also love Brittany Murphy just did such a great job. Um, her heartbreak when Elton rejects her, just the way that she cried over him. They're sitting at a restaurant and she was just so convincing. Um, she was a really good actress. Like she did this well. I remember there's actually one iconic line that I just wish I could, you know, oh my gosh, I relate to it so hard. Cher and Dion are trying to make Ty feel better. So they say, oh, you're too good for him. And she says with tears in her eyes, if I'm too good for him, why am I not with him? And I oh. I was like, oh my gosh, relatable. Because that's what everybody always says to girls when they don't get the guy. And that is every girl's real thought. If I am too good for him, why aren't we together? So poor Yeah, Ty. because if I'm too good for him, then I'd be the one shooting him down. Also, I just remember that's the line of thought. (laughs) There's another moment where so Ty keeps referencing back this song that she and Elton sang to. And it's so funny because when you watch the movie, what happens is Ty gets hurt at a party and the character Elton is helping her out and he's trying to make sure he doesn't she doesn't have a concussion. So he's like, sing along to the song with me. And it's literally like three seconds. They say rolling with the homies and that's it and Ty's like oh it's our song it's our song so that song comes on in the restaurant when they're all together and Ty's like oh it's our song and I thought that was so funny they just capture the mind of a teenage girl so well (laughs) they did yeah they did a great job making her like teenagery and her emotions and all of that and Brittany did do a good job I feel like you know before she passed away she was in a lot of movies and I feel Mm -hmm. like I've seen her in a lot and she kind of disappeared into this character. Like, I didn't feel like I was watching Brittany Murphy, who I feel like I know pretty well as an actress. Mm. You know, I felt like she was really tied, and that was really the character, and it came through really strong. Um, also, I forgot to mention this, but one of my favorite parts of the whole film was when Cher gets upset when she finds out that Ty's in love with Josh and there's just a montage of Josh and Cher set to all by myself. (laughs) It was so funny. And then Cher realizes she's in love with him. Like there's just voiceover and she's in front of a fountain that just like bursts on and there's all these colors in the background. It was just beautiful. Ladies, let's talk about this version of Frank Churchill, who, spoiler alert, he's pretty different. His name is Christian, and he's played by Justin Walker. 
Oh my gosh, I love Christian. I thought this was amazing. <laughs> He's such a good character. I just have to say, okay, this was amazing. Mm-hmm. So Shira has just finished talking about the high school boys in their mm-hmm. greasy hair and their backwards caps and their slouchy clothes. And then there's like a burst of music. A light shines and Christian walks into her class and he's just so like gorgeously dressed. He's like James Dean. Literally just James Dean. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Like all of her hopes and desires (laughs) in this person. And he's so clean and so fashion forward. I mean, Mm -hmm. you can probably guess that he's gay right away. But it takes Cher a really long time to pick up on it. One thing that I thought was so funny was Cher has a very... um, uh, bend and snap moment where she's trying to get his attention right away so she drops her pin and he picks it up and you know it shows off her legs and he looks up at her and he says nice stems like, what? I love the whole montage of him like quote unquote falling in love with her mm-hmm. where she, she's like yeah you have to show that you're you know you're desirable and she sends herself flowers and buys herself chocolates mm-hmm. and in high school I definitely thought that way I was all about mm-hmm. like the manipulative mm-hmm. what can I Mindset, do to make yeah. myself seem this way so I thought yeah. that was funny so my favorite thing about Christian in this whole entire movie was the scene when he comes to pick up Cher and Josh and her dad are sitting at the table doing lawyery stuff or whatever. And her dad looks at Christian and goes, do you drink? And Christian's like, oh, no, not right now. You know, blah, blah, blah. And her dad's like, no, I'm not asking if you want a drink. I'm asking, do you drink? Like, as in, I am not offering a 15-year-old an alcoholic beverage in my house. Come on, dude. Get the picture. But yeah, that's my favorite part. Mm -hmm. He's cool. Also, I can't remember if we've explicitly stated this, but one thing that is different in this adaptation is that Christian, who was the equivalent of Frank Churchill, he doesn't have a Jane. He is actually gay. So... That definitely adds in another layer of representation and clearly why Emma and uh, Christian were never going to work. Um, going to work. Yeah. I think Christian definitely has quite a few iconic moments in this film, including when they go to basically the equivalent of the Weston's ball. He and Cher are at a party together. They're dancing back to back a couple of times. And I was like, huh, that's really weird. But when, um, Josh arrives because he's trying to check in on her and it kind of zooms out a little bit and they're dancing back to back because Christian is turning around to dance with a guy that's standing behind him. And oh, she doesn't even realize yeah, that. Yeah, Cher just never realizes, poor thing. Oh my gosh. That's taking that's oblivious definitely. to a whole new level. Mm-hmm. Well, we don't really have proposal scenes in this. We do have a somewhat declaration of feelings type scenes. So let's start with Elton slash yeah i guess he is elton in this what did you guys think it was honestly problematic Mm -hmm. um just kind of setting the scene here uh elton and Cher and ty are leaving the party and elton really wants Cher to ride home with him so he kind of sends ty with someone else and brings Cher with him and he sings to a song it's kind of cringy oh it's so bad and he pulls over in a parking lot and just kind of starts trying to like make out with Cher. Mm -hmm. she's not having it and you know, we get the typical expl- explanation. What? I thought you were in love with Ty and me. What are you talking about? And he's like, I would never go for someone so low. And 
So we kind of get that typical exchange, except this time he's trying to make out with her the whole time, mm-hmm. which is very problematic. Uh, we'll get to that in a second. He then, she then gets out of the car to try and stop it just to like kind of get away from him for a minute. And he speeds off and leaves her. In like the parking lot of a liquor store on a very not great part of town. This poor 15 year old girl in this like very interesting red dress. But yeah, I felt so bad for Cher in this scene because she and Elton have clearly, they run in the same social circle. They're kind of friends. And in this scene, he's just so rude to her. The way he talks about Ty is really horrible. And you can also tell in this adaptation too, that not only is he saying, oh, I could never go for Ty, even though he maybe likes Cher, he also clearly likes her for her elevated social status too. So he's just the trashiest of trash. Yeah. And he's kind of coming on gold digger. And he's kind of coming on to her throughout the whole movie. I mean, mm-hmm. you see him like massaging her shoulders in class and giving yeah. her a kiss on the cheek. Yeah, twice, I think. Yeah. And so it's a little bit weird the whole time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So his uh, handsiness definitely takes a new level in that car scene, though, which really just makes the scene so sad. It does lead to kind of a sweet scene between Cher and Josh, though, because after Cher is abandoned in the liquor store parking lot, she gets mugged. She gets robbed at gunpoint and the guy steals her phone and her purse. So she has no way to call home. So she goes to a, a paid telephone, whatever. So they don't exist anymore. Pay phone. Pay phone yeah. <laughs> and she calls Josh, who happens to be uh, canoodling at the time with a, Appropriate yeah, a, a girl. Um, but he when Cher explains it to him, he drops everything to go and help her. He brings the girl with him, of course. Um, and there's actually this one moment where Cher kind of stumps um, his girl. Uh, she's quoting Hamlet and Cher basically tells her that she remembers Mel Gibson and she quoted the wrong person. It was actually Polonius and it's really funny. And you see Josh give her this cute look. So that scene was really trash, um, but it eventually leads to something cute with josh and Cher. so speaking of cuteness what did you guys think of the kind of confession of feelings between josh and Cher? and this took place right after that scene where he defended her and at this point she's really upset yeah he defended her in front of her dad's employee when she got yelled at so she's obviously upset she's i feel like Cher, her character she's obviously been going through this moral change you know she realizes she needs to start caring about other people more and she's just trying to help her dad out so then to be yelled at and told she's worthless all these things she's already been thinking about herself it just really gets her down and so the way that josh goes to comfort her is just it's really really sweet and in the moment he does tell her she's beautiful but he does tell her that he thinks that she's really smart and caring and i thought that was really precious yeah, it was cute. I just, some part of me just can't get over the fact that they are ex step siblings. You know, just I don't know, just something about that is just a little to me. But yeah, I mean, the scene was cute. He defended her honor, and you know, you have the great. <laughs> if you put that weird family dynamic out of your mind, yeah, it is a, a sweet like declaration of feelings. I liked it. So we've talked about the different aspects we've talked about how this adaptation's different very different hello 90s <laughs> uh we've talked about characters that aren't in this and new characters so 
what made the film and what broke the film for you? I think I have two make-its for me. One of them is a bigger make-it than the other one, but I loved the addition of the character of Dion. I thought she was really funny and really sweet and adding that kind of another Valley Girl character to interact with Cher and have just a really sweet friendship was really cute. She also has um, a really sweet relationship with Murray that's really, really cute to watch. And so I just loved that addition of that character, Dion. She's also Black, which adds another layer of representation to this film because Again, like we talked about last time, a lot of adaptations of Emma are just strictly all white people. Um, So I really love the addition of Dion. My second smaller picket is just Ty's line. She yells this at Emma when they're having their big fight. And she says, why would I listen to you? You're a virgin who can't drive. I think it's so funny. Um, So I really love that line. I think it's like my most quoted line from the film. I don't actually say it to anyone, just like the air. um, (laughs) And I think the break it for me was just the sexualization of teenagers. That's really it. Other than that, I really liked the movie. Yeah, so my make it is definitely the costuming. I thought it was incredible and shares cool little mm. computer thing where she can plan her outfits and sees what see what she looks like in them is, mm. you know, goals. Uh, so I just really loved that part and just loved the fashion in the movie. Uh, my break it is kind of silly and small, but it's important to me. I definitely, so I watched this before I was in high school, I think, and there are a lot of movies like this just kind of set unrealistic expectations for what high school is like every early 2000s <laughs> yes and so my break it is definitely how unrealistic the portrayal of high schoolers and high school life is like mm-hmm. because looking back on it as someone who's now very far removed from being in high school it's nothing like that at yeah. all i feel like the second i got past senior prom i was like well now i know all of it was a lie yep it is. i've reached the final stage and i can say I think my I'm gonna start with my break it and then go into my make it. Oh. Uh, my break it for the film I think is just it's just not my vibe. You know I'm an action action romance historical romance type of gal. Early two thousands high school rom coms and like and it's just not me. I can see the value in it and I do understand why y'all love it. It's just you know not for me. Anyway, onto the juicy stuff. <laughs> uh, what made the film for me is I totally agree with Beth. It's that wardrobe machine. Mm. It is 2020. Why do we not have that <laughs> in every house? That would make our lives so much easier. I understand technology, you know, whatever. But like, come on, give me something 2020. I'm not totally sure if this movie started that, but I do know that there was such an influx of you know, rich girls always having a closet dressing machine after this, I feel like. So truly like iconic. Hannah Montana had yes. a really cool closet. Yes. There is a Polly Pocket movie. Wow, that just aged me so much. <laughs> but there is a Polly Pocket movie with almost this exact same scene in it mm-hmm. at the very beginning where I guess Polly, I don't know, um, is going through and like picking out her outfit and there's a music montage in the background and you see like her selecting it off the screen. Anyway, that's great. Uh, Along with Julia, I also have a favorite quote from this film. It's along the same lines. It's at the very beginning when the girls are in gym class and the gym teacher is just like kind of yelling at them, I guess, to like 
do something. And this one girl goes, my plastic surgeon told me to not do anything that involves balls coming at my face. <laughs> and I think it's Dion or it's somebody who's standing right there goes, well, there goes your social life. <laughs> like, Mrs. It's basically the future Mrs. Elton is the one who says like she can't do it. Yeah. yeah, no, Dion can't take tennis because her tennis instructor told her that he didn't want anything that could ruin her training. So. <laughs> well, Lori, tell us who you would date from this version of Emma. Oh, I gotta go with Paul Rudd. Mm, I gotta yes, go with the man bro. that does Obviously. No. You know, his beautiful face. We gotta love a Paul Rudd. And he's so wholesome. Mm-hmm. That like he's he's got no issues. That Nietzsche reading aspiring environmental lawyer. What's not to love? <laughs> right? So Julia, tell us, how was your drink? Well, I have to say, this Tivana um Earl Grey creme really did not deliver for me, ladies, sadly. Mm. It, you know, it's trying to be a London Fog, which is one of my favorite coffee shop teas to order. And you and Beth love Yes, that. yes. Mm. Our local coffee shop in College of Blackbird made the best London Fogs. Yes, they did. <laughs> Our AP Blackbird, they're still going, still going strong. Please support local coffee. We just miss them. <laughs> um, but... It just doesn't deliver. It has kind of a creaminess to it, which I'm not sure how they achieve that, but it's not enough to undercut the bitterness. And so you get a little bit of those flavors of lavender and vanilla, but it's just not enough for me. So I feel like you would be better off just ordering a London Fog and paying the price. Mm. Mm. I did finish it though. So I guess that tells you something. I wasn't that proud bad. of you. That's good. Yes. Beth, how was your drink? Well, I just finished my coffee and, you know, I'm feeling kind of weird because I pretty much never drink coffee like once every six months, maybe. So I'm feeling a little... Yeah, you don't handle caffeine. Yeah, I'm feeling a little jittery, a little weird. I'm ready to eat some dinner. And yeah, it was fine. I know nothing about coffee, so I have no idea (laughs) if it was good or not. But I will always, always take some Bailey's Irish cream. That stuff Mm -hmm. is good. So, I mean, I finished it. So it was good it wasn't amazing it was no london fog but it was drinkable Lori, how was your drink it was red gatorade it was satisfying it was good i got my electrolytes i'm a good sick person i promise um but yeah my yeti's empty i'll probably have another one or more water tonight take care of yourself girl all right, guys. Well, this is actually our last episode of the season. So, Lori, why don't you tell us what's next? Okay. We are so sad, but we need to take a break. You know, there's holidays right now happening. We're all traveling, kind of, sort of, maybe. COVID, be careful. We want you to keep in contact with us on socials. So, we're going to be super on Instagram. You know, hit us with those DMs, those likes, those comments. But in January, we are coming back. Don't forget about us. We love you. So, Definitely keep up with us on Insta for the announcement of our next season. Oh my gosh, I have to say, I'm so excited about the novel we're doing next. It's a good one, guys. Get ready. So make sure you keep checking back and see when we drop that little quote-unquote trailer for next season. We might even be doing a couple of little hints about what novel we'll be covering next. So if you have any guesses, feel free to send them over to our DMs. Alrighty. So guys, we had a great time talking about Emma this whole season. It's been so fun. 
It's gone by so fast. I know. I can't believe it. I know. And yeah, talking about Clueless today was a blast. And we hope that you guys have enjoyed this episode as much as we did. Um, so please give us a rate or review on Apple Podcasts. And you should follow us on Instagram. We're at Sips and Sensibility Pod. And you can like us on Facebook at Sips and Sensibility. Be sure to follow those channels, especially right now um, with our big announcement of our new season coming. And because we do fun things like shout outs in our podcast episodes. So Julia has one of those for us today. Yes, the winner of this week's episode shout out is T with Collins, who's on Instagram at Darcy at Pemberley. So you should check them out because they post a lot of fun memes really regularly. So if you want a chance to enter the shout out, follow us on Instagram and every recording day, I'll post a picture letting you know how to win. So go ahead and turn on those post notifications. We are so sad to say goodbye, but we need to brush up on our own Jane Austen before we dive into our next season. But before we go, we just want to say thank you for a great first season. In our three short months, approximately three short months, you know what I mean, that we have been recording, producing, and putting up these podcasts for you. We have over 615 Instagram followers, and we've had over 1,730 people listen to the podcast, which is mind-boggling for me that y'all love our voices so much. We greatly appreciate it, and we also want to ask you, send us your Jane Austen adaptations that you want us to review and what you're interested in. You might have some like random one that we've never heard of that you really, really, Mm -hmm. really want us to watch. And I want to know what it is because I love the like weird random trivia out in the world. So please send it to us. Always looking for niche Austin content. Always. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But, and I hate to say this until January, keep on sipping you guys.